Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. Today, I am happy to be rejoined by my dear friend and integral psychotherapist extraordinaire, Dr. Keith Witt, for another adventure of The Shrink and the Pundit. Hey, Dr. Keith, how you doing, man? I'm doing great today. How are you, Jeff? Doing great. Good to have you back. And, um, and good to be talking about uh, this, this new topic today, uh, which is brain health and, um, and the relationship of brain to mind and how we can, you know, all sort of prepare to enter the third age of life, the elder age of life with the healthiest brain possible. And that's a little bit different for us because normally you and I talk about what we integralists would call the left-hand quadrants, the consciousness, you know, our own interiors and our collective consciousness, the culture that we have. But today we're going to look at the upper right quadrant, which is the meat of the matter, you know, the actual physical brain. And, uh, and, it, and it sounds like you've been doing a lot of thinking on this and actually have some personal experience in this. And uh, so let me just start with, um, you know, inviting you to share your general take on it. Yeah. Um, a while ago, Becky likes to order these summits of world experts talking for about an hour about what they're great at. So she ordered a summit on Alzheimer's, and I downloaded it and started listening to these 32 lectures a number of months ago and was just fascinated. Meanwhile, we have a, 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 a relation, a family member who had mild cognitive impairment and then went through the medical system being diagnosed with Alzheimer's, all the way up into having the lumbar puncture, you know, looking for spinal, spinal fluid. And it was shocking to me how little, and these were really great doctors, you know, the, according to everything that in, in traditional medicine, they're state-of-the-art people, you know, down in UCLA, a state-of-the-art clinic. And there was an appalling lack of connection between the current research and what they were telling this guy. Hmm. It was shocking. And so we're going now into the lower left and, and the lower right because this reflects a schism in the United States where um, there are a lot of influences on our understanding of health and of functioning that are, that, are, that are not coming from pure science, from the data. They're coming from the lower left and the lower right. They're coming from business. They're coming from uh, vested interests. For instance, usually when we talk, I don't have to say this. Okay, I'm a licensed psychologist. Okay, everything that I say about medicine today, everything I say about nutrition, everything I say about that is not in my, my position as a licensed psychologist because I'm not licensed to do that. It's coming from my position as a scientist and a seeker and a student. Okay? <laughs> and everybody knows that. And I, I need no disclaimer because everybody yeah. already knows I'm full of shit. But it's all good. <laughs> it's just I'm all just, my opinion here. I'm just saying, if anybody says, you know, Keith's giving medical advice, Keith the psychologist is giving no medical advice. Keith, the seeker and the scientist, has found some data that has kind of blown his mind, and he wants to share it with integralists everywhere, because this is important information for the culture. Hey, man, the, blow our minds, man. And the culture, yeah, uh, and the culture ha resists this data, okay? All right. And, 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 and so the, the, the culture resisting the data and the data needing to get out, this, this happened with the tobacco companies. 
happened with the sugar companies. It happened with the oil companies. Now it's happening with the food industry. It's happening with the medical industry. It's not like there's a plot or anything. It's just that the lower left and the lower right has momentum that resists change. And so outliers develop new, new, new data. And as they develop new data, the entrenched interests uh, resist it. And so that's a big deal. And with, with Alzheimer's and dementia, it's a big deal because if you're over 65, your chances of getting Alzheimer's or dementia are 8 to 12%. If you're over 75, your chances are 50%. If you have one, 7, 000, 7 million Americans have two copies of the APOE4 gene. If you have two copies of that gene, you have a 50 to 90% chance of getting Alzheimer's. And if you have one copy, which is 75 million Americans, you have a 30% chance. Now, this scares the hell out of everybody. And what, what a lot of the, the, the researchers, and these the people that I've been studying are scientists, they're, med they're medical doctors, they're, they're, they're uh, um, functional medicine practitioners. They've discovered a lot of things that teach us about how Alzheimer's develops, which is different from what medical science has known for 50 years, and give alternatives that can slow down Alzheimer's, and in some cases, in some studies, have re reversed Alzheimer's. And that's a really big deal. And so, uh, given all those alarming statistics, given that you and I are in our late 60s, given that a lot of integral people are, are well, wait a minute, all See, of us. Technically, I'm about to turn 64, which is quite the late 60s. I totally apologize. Feels like it. You know, you in your early 60s, <laughs> I myself in my late 60s. And so, so I want to share some of this stuff. So one thing that I want to share is what, what causes dementia? Okay, so just let's just, just for a moment, there's two main causes. One main cause is there's a lot of little hemorrhages in your brain. That's called a multi-infarct dementia, which is lots of things contribute to that. Another one is what's called an Alzheimer's. When amyloid beta plaques, these are a certain kind of protein, form in the brain and they create, um, with tau proteins, create these neurofibrillatory tangles that kill brain cells. And for the last 50 years, the magic bullet everybody's been looking for is let's reduce the uh, amyloid plaques and then we'll be able to reverse Alzheimer's. Unfortunately, when they have been able to reduce amyloid plaques, plaques, it hasn't had any impact on the disease. Okay, that's a problem. Why did that happen? Secondly, the only two drugs that have been okayed for Alzheimer's don't do anything, cause some harm, and at best, slow down the progress of the disease. So there's a lot of doctors and scientists that were not satisfied with this, and thank God they weren't. So they started investigating this. And one guy in particular, a medical doctor who worked at UCLA for seven years, ran their unit there for a number of years, and now has a, um, his own clinic, is a guy named Dale Bredesen, who wrote a book called The End of Alzheimer's, you know, that, which, a book which I gave to my relative because my relative didn't want to hear anything from me about stuff. He was, his doctors were telling him, take these drugs, and that's all you can do, and, and you know, basically you're going to lose your mind and, and get relaxed. Okay. Well, that's, if that was in ca the, the case, well, that would be true. But as it turns out from, the, from a, an overwhelming amount of data, there's some, there's some stuff that makes sense, and then there's some really surprising stuff. So first of all, what causes Alzheimer's? Um, 
there are several distinct causes that end up having this accumulation of amyloid uh, plaques. Amyloid plaques are immune reaction in the brain to insults to the brain. Um, they're like scabs. And so getting rid of scabs doesn't help the infection that's causing the scabs. So what are the things that cause this to happen? Well, the most common one is inflammation. Inflammation from early diseases, you know, uh, herpes virus, uh, uh, Lyme disease, uh, uh, chronic infections, um, mouth hygiene. Uh, if, you have, if you have chronic infections in your mouth, it can make its way into your brain and they found gingivitis viruses and bacteria in the brain, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so anything that causes inflammation, sugar is a, is a toxin if it hasn't been turned into glucose. And because we have a culture that is creating um, diabetes, uh, basically we have a diabetes generating culture, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, that glucose um, is an inflammatory agent that causes inflammation that has this response. Um, uh, tears in the blood-brain barrier, which the, that barrier stops large particles from getting into the brain. But that barrier breaks down under certain circumstances. And then these particles get into the brain and there's these responses. And when we get older, the glial cells, which are the, the cells in the brain that are the equivalent of immune cells, they get charged. And we get an infection, they, they, re they release excite excitoneurotoxins, uh, glutamate especially. And so that's where you have these catastrophic events after, 60, after 75, when somebody gets an infection or somebody goes down, they go down fast. So that's one form, uh, one thing that creates Alzheimer's. But then there's another thing that creates it. And that other thing is you have- this, So this one thing being inflammation and all those ways you just talked about. All the ways that I just talked about. All right, got it. A, a second way is, does, it's not inflammation, is that your brain doesn't get enough uh, hormonal support or nutrients. There's not enough blood going to your brain, for instance. Um, you don't have enough testosterone or you don't have enough brain-derived de uh, neurotropic factor. And this might be one of the reasons that women get Alzheimer's twice as much as men do, because men have more testosterone. So as you don't have nutrient support or, or you don't have a, a hormonal support in the brain, the brain will have, this is called hypertrophic, Alzheimer's, the brain responds by creating these, these plaques, which shrink the brain, lower its energy requirements, kind of pre preparing it in that fashion, and that creates Alzheimer's. Then there's another form called 1.5, where you have both those things. This happens when you eat too much sugar, which pretty much everybody in America does. And, you know, because we have an economy that pushes that, the food industry and so on. What happens then is we have these rapid ups and downs in, of insulin when we're eating refined sugar. The average American eats 160 pounds of sugar a year. This is toxic. And so what, what that does, your pancreas wears out and you become, a, there's less insulin being produced and become more resistant to insulin. Insulin is neuroprotective. So now we have both a reduction of neuroprotective insulin and we have this more glucose in the brain, which um, more sugars in the brain, which create an inflammatory situation. Okay, that, so, so let me just okay. stop you there. Um, normally, <clears throat> when I um, you know hear about this sort of malevolent um, uh, confluence of business and culture and so forth, I I have some you know skepticism about that. Right. But um, what has really um, challenged that skepticism.
is the, the revelation in the last year or so about how America went on a fat craze that was basically manufactured. Yeah. And, and, and so fat became the demon. And we're sort of human beings, Jonathan Haidt points this out, that we have this, uh, we're, we're always looking for poisons. And it's just part of the being a functional animal. That's right. And, and so we, we're always trying to demonize food. And, <clears throat> and you, you live in Boulder, you live in Santa Barbara. I'm sure it's the same thing. I mean, everybody's got their food craze. That's right. But, but fat became sort of the general mass food craze. Uh-huh. And uh, and so we had this fat-free stuff that turned out to just Nabisco, you know, fat-free cookies had three times as much sugar because you still need some blast of uh-huh. something. And it turns out that sugar actually, if you're to, to believe the new sort of craze, which you're talking about, uh, is is the real culprit. And so I am more malleable in my, you know, understanding of this, this these days. And... Um, and I get that, good Lord, you know, having a Coke with, what is it, seven teaspoons of sugar? Oh, yeah. In a, in a glass of, of, of a sugar soft drink, that just can't be good. Yeah, you know, most people are good people. There are many conspiracies, but the tobacco co- companies, they suppressed data about tobacco. The drug companies suppressed data that said placebos worked almost as well as the antidepressants. The banks suppressed data about how the mortgage crisis was going to be all screwed up. Um, the sugar industry has suppressed data that shows the direct in, uh, connection between high glycemic foods and diabetes. And now 50% of America is either diabetic or pre-diabetic. Mm-hmm. And what people look for is medicines that protect them from the effects of diabetes rather than change their lifestyle to not have diabetes. Type 2 diabetes can be reversed. Okay, so from the neck down, the symptom of that is for men, a pot belly. Yeah. You get this metabolic syndrome where you get a lot of fat around your belly. I think for women, it's around the hips. Yeah. Uh, And so there's a neck up uh, uh, consequence to this that you're talking about uh, that is um, preventable. We don't don't have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it has consequences everywhere. You know, you know. I, well, I remember once David Reardon. I met him the first time. Our first conversation. I said, I couldn't, I couldn't quote you the twenty precepts from Sex Ecology and Spirituality if you held a gun to my head. And I thought about that. And I said, you know, I probably have internalized those twenty precepts pretty well because, in a hierarchy, if you eliminate any level of the hierarchy, everything above it disappears. Okay, so if you eliminate your body, your brain disappears. If you eliminate your brain, your mind, your self-aware consciousness disappears. If you eliminate your self-aware consciousness, your capacity to consciously connect to spirit and to direct your attention disappears. And so that's all a big deal. And so we, we want to change. Also, we want people to be healthy. There's something like 80 million amputations in, or 80,000 amputations in the United States every year, mostly from diabetes. And all those people were told by their doctors to change their diets and couldn't because sugar's addictive, just like, I don't know, Coke is addictive or alcoholic, alcohol is addictive. And so they had, all this stuff is happening. And what do we do about it? Um, in psychotherapy, I've worked with so many people who've had to manage an Alzheimer's patient, a person, or they're beginning to develop decline themselves. 
which is really scary. I mean, psychotherapy relies so much on the observing witness and consciousness. At a certain point, you're not available for psychotherapy if you're having um, neuro decline. And one of the few things that can, speaking of Jonathan Haidt, he wrote a great book on happiness. One of the few things that can lower your, your set point, your happiness set point, is having to take care of somebody you loved who has a dementia. And so we want to change that. Okay. Yes. Okay. Right. So let's change it. Let's change it. Okay. And so I want to share a bunch of stuff that blew my mind about this. Cool. So first of all, let's talk about the obvious stuff that you can do to have a healthy brain. Obvious thing number one, exercise every day. Exercise is the panacea. Exercise helps everything. You know, not, not only are you less likely to have Alzheimer's, less likely to have heart disease, cancer, diabetes, you know, you name it. Okay. So exercise every day. Two, get a lot of sleep. At night, when we go to sleep, our brain has an immune system uh, that's made up of fluid and glial cells. So when we go to sleep, what happens is our brain shrinks and that system sloshes around and those glial cells take free, free radicals and stuff out of our brain, clean it out. So uh, everybody get good sleep. Okay. Here's another one. Don't be cynical. Cynicism just, just wrecks people. It's the, it was the number one thing associated with arteriosclerosis and heart disease. Are you serious? I'm serious. This they, is from this symposium. These are, this is from science. These are for people who know what they're talking about. Well, the cynicism data came from the type A research that was done in the 70s. This is data that I have from before. Okay. Where the number one thing that was associated with, with heart disease and type A wasn't anger. It wasn't, you know, forced speech, all the stuff that people talked about with type A, hard driving. It was cynicism. Cynicism was associated with pathology more than any of those other things. So, so everybody needs to be like Jeff. You need to have an optimistic explanatory See? style. I knew it. I knew I'd be vindicated. You are vindicated. Okay. So that's an obvious one. Um, here's another one. Eat healthy. Now, that, that's a little tricky, and I'll talk about why it's tricky, but what's healthy? Healthy is you eat a lot of organic vegetables. You don't eat, you don't eat high glycemic index stuff. Stay away from flour products for, for, for various reasons. Um, the, the, the data on that is, 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 some of it is quite damning. Some of it is intriguing. Um, and keep alcohol and drugs down to a minimum. Uh, there was a study done in England where they found a set point of 14 units of alcohol. Above that, people started having symptoms, and below that, they were fine or better. Now, that's a week. 14 units a week is a bottle and a half of wine, which is, I'm sorry to everybody who likes to drink. Now, I admit freely, you know, full disclosure, I have two bottles of wine a week, but I don't have more than that. I decided I'm going to draw the line, but I'm not, I'm, you know, I figured I'm going to, you know, throw the dice with those extra four units. But, you know, alcohol, keep that down. That's an obvious Obviously. By the way, I just saw a study in, I think it was this morning's paper, about marijuana being not as bad for the brain as uh, originally thought. Now, true. who knows what that means, but it made me feel better. Well, yeah, it certainly made <laughs> me feel better. Um, I know that there's been a lot of enthusiastic researchers trying to find out what's wrong with, with marijuana. You know, and now, marijuana is associated with a motivational syndrome, and being yes. addicted to marijuana is a problem. Yes. But, you know, biochemically, of all, the, of all the drugs, it's the least neurotoxic and the least toxic of all the drugs on your body, which is okay. Okay, so those are the obvious ones. Okay, I just, you know, talk about right, the So exercise, sleep, no cynicism, eat healthy, and, and alcohol in moderation. Yeah, yeah. And good relationships. All right? Good relationships. 
less likely to get Alzheimer's. Purpose, less likely to get Alzheimer's. Intellectually awake, less likely to get Alzheimer's. My, my mother is 92, and is, she's as sharp as she was as far as I, any point of her life. She reads two or three books a day. You know, she just is a, has a freak wow. out. You know, she dies. We're going to have to get rid of 3,000 books that she has stacked in her house. Yeah. I, don't know, well, I, don't I, was, know. I was reading about this. That there's a, um, uh, researchers are identifying a, a certain percentage of people who are as cognitively uh, competent in their 80s and 90s as they were at any other period of their life. Yeah, there are, that does have existence. Part of it is genetic. It also, if you continue to grow as a human being, you actually develop more cognitive capacity in your late 50s and 60s as different parts of the brain begin to wire together. You get wiser. You get more self-regulatory capacity and more, more perspective. Okay, so those are, those are the obvious things. Good relationships, purpose, you know, staying cognitively active. So let's look at the things that aren't so obvious. Okay, Fiji water. Okay, now what? What? Fiji water? Water from deep volcanic wells, Fiji water is one of the most easily available, though it's horrendously expensive, has silicic acid in it. Now, here's what, now, one thing that we didn't talk about just now is there's a third cause of Alzheimer's, and that's toxins. Mercury from fillings, mercury from the environment, aluminum, aluminum from water, aluminum from the environment, aluminum from aluminum pans. Aluminum is neurotoxic, and some people don't excrete it as well as others. Mercury is neurotoxic. Some people don't excrete it as well as others. If you eat large mouthed fish, they got a lot of mercury in them, like sharks and swordfish and stuff. Salmon's pretty good. All right. That's how, how about if, when you were a kid, your dad, who worked at the power plant, brought home little bottles of mercury to play with? Yeah. Well, if you had that, you might have created a toxic load of mercury. Though our bodies do excrete it, some people better than others. And there are ways to chelate mercury out of your body, but you want to be cautious about chelation because, you know, upsetting balances. You want to be really so, uh, slow and, and solid about that. So toxins. I, I just will note, my dad didn't bring it home for me to play with. He brought it home. I played with it. Yeah, I know. But me too. I remember <laughs> seeing the mercury on my hand. Not kind thinking. of fun. You know, it's weird. Well, it's weird. A, it's li a liquid metal. It's a liquid metal. I wasn't thinking that's going into my skin. And, to a nine-year-old, that was really fascinating. Going up into my brain is going to dement me when I'm 75. Well, well, not to mention then the mercury in fillings uh, for teeth. And so, okay, so toxins, another category. Yeah, yeah. You know, by the way, people have poo-pooed the you know, mercury from fillings going in, into your brain. Well, okay, somebody said, I'll test that. They took a bunch of sheep and they gave them fillings. You know, poor sheep. Anyway, so then they went, you know, and they, and they put a radioactive marker on the mercury. Okay, so then they you know, let them go out and do their sheep thing, and they ate, and ate, and ate, and whatever. And then uh, they killed them, because that's what you do if you do that kind of research. And they found out that what happened is as they chewed on the fillings, it turned into a gas. It went up in their nose, through their olfactory nerve, to the hippocampus, to exactly the areas that they get deteriorated in the frontal lobe with, with, with Alzheimer's, and it deteriorated those, those areas. So you want to get that stuff out of your, out of your uh, body. Now, Fiji water, silicic acid in Fiji water, if you drink a quart of Fiji water and then you pee, aluminum is coming out in your pee. It chelates aluminum out of your body. So if you're one of those people that happens to have not 
uh, cognitive decline because you have too much aluminum. If you drink Fiji water every day, there's a good chance that you're going to have some, some effect. And all these 32 people, they all had case studies, of course. Some of them had research. Bredesen had some actual uh, uh, research on it. But they all have case studies of someone who did one of these things and something great happened. And so you can keep. Is there another way of getting silicic acid than of shipping water from Fiji? Well, if you get water from deep volcanic wells and it has silicic acid, yeah, you know, the guy was asked that. You know, the researcher he said we haven't found the way of getting that into the the bloodstream. Other Just a nice that, pill. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I actually take a silicon pill every day, just on the off chance that it might help. Huh. Uh, but. According to the researcher, he All didn't right. really find anything. All right, Fiji water. Fiji water. Here's another one. Coconut oil. What? Coconut oil? Well, here's this thing. Um, when your body doesn't have enough glucose, what it does is it goes into the fats and it takes the ketone, turns the fats into ketones. And people used to think you needed glucose in your brain. The brain actually likes ketones too. In fact, ketones are much more energy efficient than glucose. So some people go on, people, a lot of people who get Alzheimer's or who get cancer go on a ketogenic diet where most of their calories come from healthy fats, a little bit of protein, and some low glycemic index, you know, the, the really good carbs. Now what that does is it, it, if, if you have the kind of Alzheimer's where your brain isn't getting enough nutrients, it gives the brain more nutrients. It also has the effect of reversing type 2 diabetes. It's called a ketogenic diet. So every morning I have a couple of tablespoons of coconut oil. And coconut oil is such, it's such a good medium chain uh, fat that if you take it and even if you have glucose in your, in your body, your brain still likes the, uh, the ketones from coconut oil. Coconut right. oil. All right. Okay, here's another one. So they, this, the, the guy who did the, um, uh, the summit was a guy named Jonathan Landsman, kind of a character. And he would always ask people, what's the one thing that you would recommend? So a couple of the people, I know I was expecting them to go, well, I recommend uh, um, exercise. I recommend whatever. I recommend, you know, get a bit panel of, of, of tests. You know, everybody recommends getting tests to find out how you, what your biochemistry is. A couple of people said, I would adjust it. I would fix your gut biome. What? Gut biome? Well, let's look into what a gut biome is. First of all, G-U-T, gut, your belly. Yeah, gut. If you take all, there's trillions of organisms, symbiotic organisms in your gut that digest food, produce neurotransmitters, um, produce enzymes. You know, they, you know they've, they've accumulated starting from the birth of, the, of this planet. If you put them all together, they're a mass that's bigger than your brain. And that they exist in your gut. Yeah, I know. A little, a little bit gross when we're talking about gut stuff. <laughs> Now, in the gut, there's a membrane that stops big particles from migrating from the gut into the body. Okay, and, and when that migraine, migraine membrane is intact, the stuff that goes in the body is just stuff we can metabolize. But there are certain things, chemicals and some substances like glutens, that make little rips in that membrane. And then larger particles can get into the bloodstream, which pulls an immune response. Unfortunately, it pulls an immune response that creates an enzyme that goes up to the blood-brain barrier, which is a similar kind of barrier, and makes little rips to the blood-brain barrier, and larger particles can get into your brain. 
Okay, so if you heal your gut, you keep that membrane in, intact, and you know you're producing. You know, for instance, your gut produces more serotonin than the rest of your body put together. I didn't know that. Your gut, your, your gut produces all kinds of hormones. And so, you know, how do you have good gut? Well, first of all, your gut doesn't particularly like um, a lot of American foods. <laughs> you know, a lot of people's guts don't like milk products. Um, our capacity to digest milk only showed up about 2,000 years ago when people started domesticating um, animals. And the, the, the parts of our, of our gut that um, metabolize it, that take in uh, um, milk products, they deteriorate faster than other parts. So, you know, maybe with some people, sugar, um, uh, gluten, they took, one Harvard study took some normal people and gave them gluten Five minutes later, they had detectable little tears in their um, gut membrane. So, you know, it's not a particularly, you know, and by the way, if you look back in human history, there was a transition into a grain um, culture when people started doing agriculture. Well, if you look back over the record, people got really unhealthy during the 5,000 years of transition. You know, they, they weren't living as long. You know, they were having a lot more problems. You know, those hunter-gatherers were really a lot healthier eating what they were eating the people that had the concentrated shot. But it was, it was the trade-off for the complexity of having, <laughs> yes. of having a, a food supply that was reliable so that we could, 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 could complexify both in terms of consciousness and culture. Yeah. And, and now, if we go back 300,000 years, you know, there was a huge shift in Africa with, with, with hominids between 500,000 B.C., um, and um, 320,000 BC. You know, but from, for, for 500,000 years, the only tool that those hominids used was a hand axe. But then what happened is there was a cataclysmic events in Africa that killed off 80% of the species. <laughs> then when we start getting a fossil record 180,000 years later, there's all kinds of different tools. Why was that? Well, that one hypothesis is that if you're a hunter-gatherer, you can't store food. So the only security is being able to develop better social relationships with other hunter-gatherer groups. And so human brains expanded. And as a consequence, they had more tools and weapons. They were being more, so, so there was another up-leveling as a result. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So healing your gut biome. So anyway, so, so, so that's evolution. And that's, you know, the, the nature of it is we proceed in some areas and, there, and there's actually a price to be paid in others. Yeah. And then as we get beyond that, then we can integrate the best of all of them, which may be some version of a paleo diet. Is that what we're talking about? Well, enter integral, because that's exactly what integral does. Integral looks at the healthy and unhealthy manifestations of everything. All cultures, all worldviews, all everything. Um, and so the answer to that is, well, yes, but every single human physiology and biochemistry is different. And so when you talk to these practitioners, the ones that I admire the most, um, the, uh, Bredesen, uh, um, another guy named uh, Slade, I think, what they always say is, you know, come in and do a lot. You know, all the, and these are, these are medical doctors, they're chiropractors, some of them are functional medicine people. They say, we'll do a lot of tests and see what's going on with you. You know, maybe you don't have any aluminum in your body. Maybe you have a lot. Maybe you metabolize um, uh, whole wheats, fine. Maybe you don't. Um, 
if you want, if you like grain stuff, well, actually, if you sprout, if you soak and sprout grain, or if you ferment milk, fermented goat's milk is one of the best sources of good of good um, bacteria for your gut biome. I I drink um, fermented goat's milk for breakfast, and I have a little spoonful of coconut yogurt because that really has good stuff in it, but it's fiendishly expensive, so only have a spoonful. Okay. Now, the, the thing that's the that is interesting, well, all this stuff is interesting to me, is that first of all, this lines up with everything else that we know about, about healthy living. And we've, it, we can now look at this dialectic, this polarity in the culture of people like us saying, we want to be healthier and we believe in science. I mean, a lot of this stuff was easily dismissed the last 40, 50 years because there's a lot of outliers, a lot of practitioners. There weren't people out doing right quadrant, respectable right quadrant research. Right. Now that it has. And so what we see is the right quadrant uh, research has been marginalized or suppressed. Um, a good example is the oil companies. Um, the oil companies allowed all the global warming research to be published in obscure journals. So the scientists felt like their stuff was being published. They felt fine. Um, the oil companies would fund it and they would let these, but nobody reads these journals. Nobody pays much attention. And then the oil companies would take out big ads saying that, you know, we really wonder about this global warming thing. Okay. And so this is how corporations don't have moral structures. You know, they just have whatever they have. They want to take care of themselves. And so it happens with, with this in the food industry and, and, the, extra, and the fat stuff that we talked about. This whole thing about a ketogenic diet, being able to re reverse certain, my, my son is on a ketogenic diet. Um, and so most of his calories come from, or a lot of his calories come from fats. Now, his metabolism has gotten kind of superhuman as a result of this. Really? <laughs> oh, God. He does. You know, he goes rock climbing and he's just, you know, he's got this, this, this super buff body. Um, all of his, you know, the biomarkers, except for cholesterol, um, are, are um, perfect. And cholesterol is misunderstood because we need cholesterol. Our brain needs cholesterol. There's some problems. You know, people take statins to lower the cholesterol. Well, the brain really is about a third of the brain is made out of cholesterol. So, you know those don't have a really great effect on the brain. So maybe we should lower, maybe we should have healthy diets so that we, our brain has enough cholesterol, but the rest of our body gets healthier. And then there's other kinds of weird, surprising things like say fluoride. You know, we have fluoridated water for our teeth. Well, unfortunately, a couple of studies showed that the fluorine um, causes your pineal gland to calcify. Uh-oh, that, that's a very important gland. You know, that runs our, our, our daily uh, our rhythms and produces melatonin. So anyway, look, I'm not a biochemist. I'm not a doctor, but I'm somebody that is aware of culture and aware that, that the more that we allow this, these voices are speaking. I saw a great article in the LA Times today where uh, Maria Shriver has this thing and she said, well, I want people to know the truth. And she talked about some of this stuff about Alzheimer's and about exercise and, and uh, healthy fats being neuroprotective. For instance, grass-fed beef. Grass-fed beef has omega-3 oils in it, fats in it, just like salmon. And it doesn't have any mercury in it. Grain-fed beef has omega-6 fats in them. Bad for you. Um, it, it, you know, that's not, I didn't make that up. 
there's enough hard science on that now that the, the, the price is through the roof on grass grass for me that's all we eat but you know our you know i pay more for food now than i used to pay for i don't know my car and and my my housing and you know and, and my well <laughs> yeah yeah well that's uh you know and part of it is you know i i sort of when i think of my own uh development in these certain lines i realize that i'm I think in my gastronomic line, if there's such a thing, I'm arrested because, <laughs> you know, the idea of giving up th this whole art form of cuisine, oh, yeah. of pastas and pies and pastries and beautiful breads and all of the wonderful things that are part of, you know, a diet that I've so enjoyed. And, and like I said, I consider it to be an art form. Um, cinnamon rolls, donuts. It's, almost, it's maybe it's worth losing my mind. No, I don't, <laughs> I don't no, no, Jeff, <laughs> don't lose your mind. No, I, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I get it. it and um, but you know, see, especially, I, I mean, it, 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 and in some ways, I also feel like here I am. I'm 64. That ship has sailed. Yeah, you know, I'll do what I can. I, you know, I try to, you know, how do I work with this stuff? But, you know, what would be really interesting is if I were younger uh, and, you know, especially these, you know, our listeners, you guys in your 20s and 30s, you're going to live to be 120 or 30. I Maybe. mean, you, you really want your brain to, you know, last. And so. Well, know. right. And also the, the rate of childhood diabetes has doubled. Yeah. Okay, there's kids that they call them thin on the outside, fat on 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 the inside because of uh, of diet. But but going back to all your stuff, look, I am I, I am a believer nothing to excess, everything to moderation myself. But what this runs is we then have to to eat highly addictive substances in a controlled fashion. Some people can have a couple of glasses of wine and stop. Some people can't. Okay, now there are there are genes that affect addiction and trauma affects addiction and we talked about that when we talked about trauma if i'm a highly addictive person i might not be able to eat uh, refined uh flour or sugar without without eating it in an out of control fashion for me i can have a couple of pieces of toast once a month and it feels like i'm eating angel food cake i'm <laughs> i'm sure that my toast is not dissolving my brain and so if you can do things in a moderate way, all the things you said are available, but they're available episodically. You mm -hmm. know, we don't drink wine with every meal. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing I've actually done that has been a remarkable change in my life. And that is I, I'm, I'm, I'm hip to this metabolic syndrome. Mm -hmm. uh, and my dad had it and, you know, and it goes back and there's heart disease in my family and my, you know, I have beginnings of heart disease. Uh, and so I stopped eating sugar until dinner so that's good totally you know i mean instead of breakfast instead of cereal or even toast i'll have cottage cheese nuts that sort of thing that's what i'll eat through the day um and the other thing that is really interesting to me is i no longer have an afternoon slump you know and i noticed the same really thing. something you know i've you know i'm at your house i have remarked to becky how healthy you eat so I just want to say, and, and you know, there's a, a weight loss person, I kind of forget her name, who was one of the, the people who were interviewed. And, you know, I've, I've tried to help people and help some people with weight loss over the years. 
she said something that I, I found fascinating. She said, whenever anybody comes to me, I tell them, I assume you have zero willpower. Okay, let's just start out with you have zero willpower. <laughs> I go, wow, what a liberating concept. So yeah, I like that. I like that for a starting point. Okay, so then she said she helps them arrange their life like you just said. Okay, it's not a choice about whether you have a cookie before five o'clock. I don't eat cookies before five. Or in her case, I don't eat cookies. You know, in my case, um, you know, there's a lot of things people will offer me, and the answer is no. You offer me a donut, I'm not going to eat the donut. You know, you, you know, you offer me a shot of tequila, I'm going to say no to the shot of tequila. I mean, there's just certain things I don't want to put in my body. No offense to everybody who likes tequila. I mean, but my point about that is, is to the extent that you have addictive capacities, whether it's the food or whether it's the substances, you arrange your life so you don't have choices. So if you don't have a choice, then willpower is kind of out the window. And what she does with people, and she's very successful helping people lose weight, is she has people eat three meals a day of healthy food and they can't eat any other time. It's not a matter of, well, sometimes I have cheat days. Uh-uh. You got your three meals, you got the foods you can eat, that's it. And she's had enormous success of, of doing that. And, you know, this is where type comes in. We need to be aware of our type. Some types can do things in moderation and some can't. Some people can stick to not eating sugar till five. Some people can't. And so if you can't stick to not eating sugar till five, you probably need to not eat sugar until your body stops craving it. And if you ask, if you ever stopped eating sugar, you'll find that your body stops craving it after a week or two. And that's true for most addictive substances. Um, you know, you go through a, a detox period and you go through a craving period. Now there's a lot, there's psychological issues associated with all addictions too. And that, that has to do with environmental cues. It has to do with the lower left. It has to do with the lower right. It has to do with cultural support, you know, all the kinds of things that we talk about. And now we're back into relationships and psychology because habits are contagious. So if you live in a group where everybody has donuts for breakfast, you know, and has an afternoon smoke, you're more likely to have donuts for breakfast and have an afternoon smoke. And so this is where Sangha matters. This is yeah. where the, the lower left and the lower right supports us in being healthier people. And what we want is we want to have little islands of health, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally. And this is an integral concept. And we want that to spread into the general integral awakening that's happening around this planet. Yeah. And it's mind, body, spirit in self-culture and nature. And people forget that in mind, body, spirit, and self-culture and nature, there's a lot of polarities uh, in opposition to each other that we have to negotiate with the help of each other, with the help of other people. And we have to deal with our own genetic predispositions and our own personality type that came out of our life. You know, some people who have the, the genes for addiction didn't develop it because they didn't have any early trauma experiences and they developed self-regulatory capacities in, a, in an environment without trauma. Some people didn't have any genes for addiction and, and developed vicious addictions because they had a lot of adverse child events. Well, let me stop you there. So you, you talk about the genes. You've talked about, you know, some people have more sensitivity to gluten or aluminum or what it might be. How do we know this? Is there a... a, a, a profession that is arising here that helps us to do these kinds of tests or the, for the people who really want to go for it, what do we do? Well, you, you go to these, you go to a functional medicine person, uh, natural paths will do it. Ask them how dialed in they are with current data on functioning and particularly on brain health. Uh, uh, some people use spec scans, you know, uh, um, you know, the famous, uh, who's that guy? Uh, oh, 
<laughs> memory. <laughs> anyway, anyway, you know, you can use brain scans. You go to one of those guys and you say, I'd like to find out how, what, what I need to do to be more optimally healthy. Um, Bredesen, who's my favorite, he's the guy who wrote Rever uh, in The End of Alzheimer's. He tests for 100 different things. And, and so ju judging from those tests, he makes recommendations. He has 36 things that he's found that have a positive effect on brain health. And what he tells people is do as many of those 36 as you can. Now, he's the guy who did the study where he took 10 people with Alzheimer's and put them on his protocol and reversed Alzheimer's in them. And he's had 90 other people since then where the same effect has happened. And that was, that was a study that was um, a peer-reviewed published study. Really? Yeah. And, wow. yeah and, and when you talk to people in traditional medicine, the good people, they, re, they quote that. They say, yeah, it was a small subject, but, but there is a study. And Bredesen did work at UCLA, and 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 though and you can't go wrong trying those things. Okay, now they can't go the extra mile. For instance, there's one guy who worked with nursing home patients, and when they came into the hospital, they were taking on average 11 medications, and they would have neuro symptoms and dementia, and so they would hospitalize them and they take them off all their their medications, and a lot of them their mind would come back, because there's no way that you can map the interactional effects of 11 medications. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the computer they used for that broke down after three medications. They, they could only do, do that. And so there's a lot of these kinds of things that it's, it's, it's simpler to, to medicate problems. And, and certainly that's the old allopathic model. The new model really pulls from traditional Chinese medicine. Traditional Chinese medicine, if you get sick, the first thing you do is fire your doctor because he's supposed to keep you healthy. <laughs> and so now we're, we're so you go to a natural path you go to a doctor a medicine a, a doctor who's interested in alternative research you go to a doctor who know who's heard of the book the end of alzheimer's i mean bredesen is a highly respected professional doctor uh, md and you go well let's do some tests to make some recommendations and they'll do an, an intense questionnaire and they'll ask you about your lifestyle and about and they'll include psychological things you know, when I was listening to these 32 lectures, you know, integral, the beautiful thing about integral is you always have something to add. Because, you know, I would see these people avoiding the psychological issues and avoiding, you know, the, the abuse issues, not really recognizing the relational issues because that's not what their area was. Their area is getting aluminum out of your body or mercury or, or this other stuff. But you put it all together in mind, body, spirit, in self-culture, nature. Um, and what you have is something that supports the human organism to continue to thrive. And when we look at the blue zones, the people that have the predominant, they have these, have way more hundred year old people. Um, you know, you know, we talked about the blue zones. Yeah. Okay. They're doing all these things, you know, click, 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 click. They're mm -hmm. not around the 7,000 toxins that exist in the environment from, from the deep, deep community in all deep, cases. Deep community, purpose, um, uh, whole grains, if they eat grains, a plant-based diet. Um, you know, they don't, you know they're, they're all poor people doing subsistence farming. No pesticides or herbicides around them. They can't afford them. You know, lucky them. You know, they're up and down all the time. They're always moving around. You know, they don't, they don't exercise formally except the Loma Linda ones. Everybody else is just part of their life. And they're basically doing what we described. Now, there are hazards to that particular approach because you have to kind of max out at amber or orange. 
you start getting green, you get excluded from those groups. So in integral, we say we want to have those capacities, including the social ones, but we also need to that capacity for individual consciousness and a personal moral compass that supersedes all of the moral compasses. Yeah. And that, that appears in the second tier. Yeah. And it, it's a really big deal because it, that's what gives us the power to go against the collective if it either feels unhealthy or if it feels immoral. In other words, if it doesn't feel beautiful, good, and true, I'm going to pay attention to my inner compass and yeah. to the compass of my sangha, who I choose. Yeah. No, right on. And, and what I appreciate about, appreciate <clears throat> about your research here and, and this conversation is <clears throat> I feel like I'm taking the upper right, the, you know, my brain more seriously than I did before. <laughs> and, you know, it's a little late in the game, but I'm not here to get it perfect. I'm here to do the best I can, but I feel like I could do better now. Yeah. So, you know, I appreciate that. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I don't, I think it's never too late. Uh, and the research shows that it's not, uh, you know, there the 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 re, the revert the all the miracle stories the case histories and some of the, the the research the research isn't funded you know this is a great story this this doctor had a this woman had a husband who developed alzheimer's and he had a pretty bad and so she wanted to sign him up for a new research protocol and they said no he's too sick to be in our protocol well that pissed her off you know i like pissed off people you know remember you know you, you find purpose by being uh, pissed dissed blissed and blessed she was pissed so she <laughs> went and looked up the patent for their thing and then she found out that the active ingredient in this protocol was coconut oil virgin coconut oil so she went and bought a bunch of virgin coconut oil start putting it in this guy's oatmeal Two weeks later, his score on the Alzheimer's, on the status exam, got twice as good. And he began to remember her and remember his name and be able to do things for himself. Okay, now this is just a case study. But, you know, why don't we hear about stuff like this? Well, you really can't put a patent on coconut oil. You know, you just you go out and buy virgin coconut oil. I have a couple tablespoons a day. I do. Why not? I mean, what's the downside? Yeah. There's no downside. There's no, what's the downside of exercising? What's the downside of, you know, being positive and optimistic? No downside. Yeah. yeah. Eating fresh fruits and vegetables, for God's sakes. Yeah. yeah. Organic without any stuff on them. Yeah. Okay. What are the side effects of that? Oh, well, I feel better. You know, I lose weight. You know, my body looks better. Sex is better. These are the kind of side effects that I want, you know? <laughs> Yeah, right on. And now, and, and it's, it, it, to, to me, it, it, now I always look at this stuff, and I share this with, with my clients and direct them to functional medicine people. Some people do and some people don't. People change at the rate that they, that they change. Um, it's like, you know, it's like alcoholics, they'll create havoc in their lives until they get into recovery. And then when they're in recovery, everything changes. And so a lot of people are addicted to sugar and they'll stay addicted until they stop. And then they'll go, wow, I feel, people will say, I feel so much clearer not eating mm -hmm. sugar. No, it's true. I do too. It's really true. Yeah. And, um, you know, so far I've been able to do it until I, um, uh, until dinner time uh, <laughs> and, and I have my ice cream, but um, yeah. Well, I have, a, I have, during the weekends, I give myself a treat at night. 
but you know, uh, an organic one, but still it has sugar in it. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I don't believe in being a maniac about any, you know, we, well, let's face it, you know, hardcore amber is, is to a certain extent tiresome and boring and didactic. You know, like, where's your sense of humor? You know, like, you know, amber humor is making fun of other people because look how stupid they are. They don't understand what we understand. That's not my favorite kind of humor. My favorite kind of humor is more integral humor, which it's the divine comedy. It's not the divine tragedy. And, and so let's just find out what's possible for everybody. And we all grow at our own pace and we have conversations like this. And, you know, whoever's listening, you go have conversations. Or if you're really intrigued or if you're scared, go to a functional medicine person and take a few steps to buy Bredesen's book and do, four, do two or three or four of the 36 things that he recommends. And the, and the book again is uh, uh, the, the end, end of, yeah the, the end, end of also of Alzheimer's yeah the end yeah. of Alzheimer's yes all right it's it's one of those books you read and you go wow wow you know well you know you think not to mention lead you know we grew up breathing leaded leaded gasoline fumes all over the place Jesus so yeah. And so some of that stuff, all that stuff, there, there's remediation where they can actually get the lead out of your body. But, you know, they have to make your body healthy enough so that it doesn't react. Same way with mercury, same way with aluminum, same way with other kinds of things. So there's a whole now movement of people in the country that are doing this stuff. So yeah. let's support them. Keep, a, keep, a, keep an eye on it. And, yeah. And, and join in. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Reverend Dr. Keith. <laughs> Thank you so Hallelujah. much. Yeah. Hallelujah, brothers and sisters. Yeah. We're going to heal the sick. That's and right. Them. <laughs> yes. Rise up. Rise up. So uh, for those of, uh, of, of us who are interested in more from you, what are you up to? Well, um, there's a book, Loving Completely, that should be coming out in the next couple of months. Uh, it's being published by Integral Life. Um, I am currently working on a book on... Um, uh, trauma into transcendence, um, an integral understanding of uh, uh, the origin and the treatment, uh, how, to, how to understand in, uh, an integral approach. So you're doing a book on that. Yeah, I am. I've, yeah, I've and it, it. It, for those of you listening, we, uh, Dr. Keith and I did a two-part series on trauma. It's one of the most popular things on Daily Evolver. Well, that's part of what influenced me. I thought, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff on trauma. And I thought, well, let's have an integral look at it, mm -hmm. a more personal one. Uh, and, I'm, and so I'm fascinated by that. And since I'm in the middle of a manuscript, of course, whenever you're in the middle of a manuscript, it fills your horizons. And, and of course, as a therapist, you're always working with relationships. You're always working with trauma learning, just as you're always working with the learning that we have from successes and the pleasures of our life and so on. So... So I'm, I'm looking for a publisher uh, for that now and, and, and have a, a, a lot of it written, actually. Mm -hmm. I'm shopping it around. And, and also, you can always go on my website, and there's my School of Love lecture series, and there are my other books, uh, Shadow Light, the Shadow Light Workbook, and Integral Mindfulness. And if you're a therapist, c catch Waking Up. Uh, psychotherapy is uh, spirituality, art, and science. Uh, I'm very proud of that book. It's one of the first books written on integral psychotherapy. And I, and I, you know, whether people know it or not, the therapy of the 21st century is going to be integrally informed therapy. It's, of it's, course. Yeah. How could it not be? Exactly. We just want the best of everything. Yeah. So yeah. 
All right, my friend. Well, thank you so much for joining us again for another adventure of the Shrink of the Pundit. Uh, and uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you again, Dr. Keith. Much love to everybody. And I love you, Jeff.